So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Pastor Xavier Reese opines the mind of Christ. The problem is that I don't think with the mind of Christ. I think with the mind of Xavier, and I get in trouble. And that's why the scriptures exhort me to put on the mind of Christ, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. We don't know the things of God. We don't know how God's going to work. But we do know that God will work if you belong to Him. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Condemning the scribes and Pharisees for acknowledging the temple over him who dwelt in it, Jesus lamented how the religious leaders have become foolish and blinded to the things of God. And in today's Simple Truth study, Pastor Xavier turns to Mark chapter 13 for Jesus' prophecy of future destruction of Israel, not once but twice for their unbelief then ending with its glorious restoration. Let's listen. Mark chapter 13. I've entitled the message, Jesus and Israel. God had pronounced judgment on Israel and over Israel, declaring that they had turned their back upon God and His word. And so He said that they were going to go into captivity for 70 years. They did not believe it. He sent prophet after prophet. They stoned them. They killed them. They mocked them. And then finally came the day when they were taken into captivity into Babylon. Three sieges. Between those three, there were false prophets that had gone into Babylon with the first and second captivity. And they were predicting that they would be soon released. They were saying, don't worry about it. Don't, you know, just hang loose. We're going to be back in Jerusalem. You guys just get ready to go when we tell you. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem preaching that they were going to go into captivity and writing letters to Babylon about these false prophets. And he was telling Ezekiel, be the watchman. Tell them to, to settle down, kick back, build houses, have kids. You're going to be there 70 years. And yet... They were there 70 years. But they were released after 70 years. They didn't learn from their captivity. For now, Jesus pronounces judgment over Israel once more for the very same thing. They had rejected their Messiah. And they had made the word of God of none effect by their traditions. Now, what has preceded chapter 13? A lot of questions, a lot of Things that really are saying, we do not accept you as Messiah. Jesus at this point wept over Jerusalem and said, How many times I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. So now I leave unto you desolate, and you shall not see me henceforth until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus gave Israel up. They came to that line and to that limit where they crossed it and God gave them up. In spite of all the preparation, in spite of all the instruction, in spite of all the love, in spite of everything, they rejected their Messiah. 
And so Jesus has rejected Israel. It is in chapter 13 that he predicts many things about the future regarding Israel. Please make sure that you understand that. Whenever you read Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, which is known as the Olivet Discourse, know that you are on Jewish ground. You can never put the church there, as I will show you. Another mistake is that people look at those three passages, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and they look at it as all recording the same thing. But if you will read very carefully, Matthew and Mark emphasize not only the signs and the time, but the end of the age. Luke kind of centers more on the destruction of the temple. I want to point some of the predictions of Jesus regarding the nation of Israel in his Olivet Discourse here in Matthew 13. First is the coming destruction that we find in verses 1 and 2. He says, Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus here predicted the destruction of the temple. The temple was built by Herod the Great. And he built Masada. He built the Herodian. The Herodian is, is, a, is a whole uh, fortress that he built. And then he, he built a mountain around it. He was a tremendous builder. And yet he began to build this temple. Remember, Solomon's temple was glorious. When Nehemiah and Ezra came back to rebuild it, the people who had seen Solomon's temple, they were crying, oh, this glory is nothing like the old one. And, and, and they saw the, you know, the difference. Now all of a sudden, Herod wanted to build this temple and make it fantastic. And he began to build it around 20 and 19 B.C. And he had gold and just elaborate pillars. And it was just incredible. The dome over the temple was just gold and all inside and when the sun hit it it just glistened and it blinded people and everybody looked at these buildings and they were beautiful and so the disciples look and says look at the building Lord Herod took the temple mountain instead of cutting the summit he extended it out the walls and then built them straight up and made the platform straight out so there'd be a big area of the court. If you go over there and you look from the Mount of Olives, you can see the temple, the pinnacle, and you see the wall is just huge. I mean, a cement truck would look tiny against the first block of the wall. They're just gigantic. And yet, Jesus is making some ridiculous predictions about these things. Josephus tells us that some of these stones were 40 feet long by 12 feet high by 18 feet wide, all one piece. Other accounts, they read of 67 feet long and equally distance and proportion, you know, uh, height and width. And, and they didn't use no cement. <laughs> now, you, you, you're in your house, you wallpaper in your house. You found out that the walls aren't straight. <laughs> I'm amazed at what they could do with stones. And, and we've got all the modern technology and people can't even put up straight walls. And Jesus is saying there, not one stone should be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, I can imagine 
the disciples thinking about this. Lord, what are you talking about? Remember, it started in 1920 B.C. When Jesus was saying this, the temple had not been through. They would still put all kinds of work into it. And yet, as they did, they were probably thinking, well, how in the world can God do this? What is he talking about? And sometimes the impossibilities of our life, whatever it may be, we look upon it and we say, well, how can God work this out? That's impossible. Remember in the Gospel of John, he said this to the Jews and they said, well, will you destroy this temple and then build it in three days? It's been built for so many years. He was talking about his body. And yet there are times when the Lord tells us and his word promises us so many things that he will do and can do in our lives, but we get our eyes so caught up on how messed up our life was before, how many mistakes we've made, or maybe in our own life of how difficult a situation we have put ourselves into or how we have made wrong decisions or whatever, and we say, well, how can that be, Lord? And we measure the difficulty of our situation by my ability instead of by the God who I serve. And that's my first mistake. And after that, I don't have to make any more mistakes. I've made them all. Because <laughs> I'm down in the pits. <laughs> I figure I just have to bite the bullet and bear it. I'm just going to just endure my Christianity instead of enjoy it. And so you've got a lot of Christians enduring instead of enjoying their relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to measure the difficulty of our lives to the God we serve. Even as he said, hey, not one stone will be left upon another. In 70 AD, Titus came in. Now, Mark does not center on this. Luke centers on this in Luke 21 20 he says but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies this know that its desolation is near and so Matthew and Mark center on the sign of the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet as we will see Luke centers on the destruction of the temple by Titus and Titus came in and he leveled the city in a last recourse, many fled into the temple for rescue and for just like a fortress. And a drunken soldier was said to have thrown a torch in and it just went up in flames. And everybody was just wiped out in there. But in the process of the fire, because of all the gold, the gold melted and went down the walls into the crevices and everything else. And to recover the gold, Titus commanded for his soldiers to take that place down stone by stone and scrape the gold. God tells you not one stone will be left upon another in your life. And you say, oh Lord, you don't understand how big these stones are. How are you going to move them, Lord? Come on. If you were to open the windows of heaven, could such a thing be? And yet it happened. You know, that three-pound tumor that I have between my ears <laughs> is of a greater problem to me than good most of the time. And I say that sincerely without any joking. Does Christianity demand for you to blow your brains out intellectually? Never. The problem is that I don't think with the mind of Christ. 
I think with the mind of Xavier, and I get in trouble. I think with the mind of the natural man, and I don't think with the mind of the new man. And that's why the scriptures exhort me to put on the mind of Christ, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And that's where the difficulty lies with Xavier. When he entered in, he did exactly that, and it was leveled. To the detail. Now, if you were on the mountain with Jesus, how would you have thought it was going to be fulfilled? <laughs> you would have never thought of it, neither would have I. We don't know the things of God. We don't know how God's going to work. But we do know that God will work if you belong to Him. And you know what? As you are faithful to abide and you go through it, and He works it out, you just blow your mind. <laughs> because He's so good. He's a God of impossibilities. You know, one day he came to Peter and he says, you know, why don't you cast your net on the other side? Oh, Lord, we've been fishing all night. Lord, we're professional fishermen. You know, you're a preacher. Stick to what you know best. <laughs> Nevertheless, as you bid, I'll do. And he threw his net on the other side and he pulled in more fish. And he ever, the, the, the boats began to sink. He called the other guys to help him. And when they brought the fish on shore, he just ran. Lord, Lord, depart from me for I am a sinful man. I cannot figure out God. Oh, I'm not telling you I don't try. <laughs> but it's like playing football without a helmet. It hurts. It's just not worth it. Jesus predicted the destruction of the people also. In Luke's account at verse 24, he gives us a more specific passage of that. Let me read that for you. Luke 21, 21. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of, of it depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. It was time for God's vengeance over Israel. She had rejected her Messiah. Now she was going to judge her. Just as he did for Babylon, he was going to do it all over again. He says, those who are in Judea, flee. Notice the context. It is Jewish ground. We get it again in Mark 13, but it's in relationship to the abomination of desolation in verse 14. We'll cover that in a little bit. Now, the historian Asubius tells us that those who remembered this, when Titus surrounded the city, they fled to the city of Pella over on Jordan. But those who did not were destroyed. Josephus tells us that a million, a hundred thousand were killed with the sword. His account declares of, of bodies just piled up in heaps. He speaks about the famine that entered in during this time that even women ate their own children. Ninety-seven thousand were captives and sold as, as such. And so Jesus predicts very accurate. Now, in that same passage in Luke 21, in verse 24, notice that at the end says that Jerusalem would be trampled till the time of the Gentiles. This is very important. Jesus is speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus. And he says that Jerusalem will be trampled till the time of the Gentiles. What is the time of the Gentiles? The time of the Gentiles is that time when Jerusalem would no longer be under the control of Gentiles. When did the time of the Gentiles begin? You remember when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of that image? He was the head of gold. Then Medo-Persia, the arms and shoulders of silver. Greece, the belly of brass. Rome, the legs of iron. And then the last empire to be upon this world would be 
a ten-nation confederacy comprised of iron and clay, a type of democracy, but iron and clay don't mix. And then there was a big stone cut not with hands. It struck the image at the feet, and the whole image crumbled, declaring the coming of Jesus Christ and to set up the kingdom. Now, the time of the Gentiles began with Babylon around 586. That was the third siege of Jerusalem. It continued through Medo-Persia, Babylon, Rome. When the Roman Empire was dissolved, it wasn't destroyed. Then God showed Nebuchadnezzar that that Roman Empire would come again under a ten-nation confederacy. We have it today, the common market. All those nations are related to the old Roman Empire. We're seeing the last government on the earth today. They're looking for one man to rule them. The time of the Gentiles began with Nebuchadnezzar. But it's interesting that when Israel, in June 7th of 1967, when they went to war, they recovered control of Jerusalem for the very first time since then. So some believe that the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled in 67 of the 7th of June. If this is true, then that is fulfilled. It would seem to be that it could be applicable because Jerusalem now is under Jewish control. They share certain parts with the Arabs, but they are in control now. Do not confuse the time of the Gentiles spoken about in Luke with the fullness of the Gentile that Paul speaks about in Romans 11.25. The fullness of the Gentile there, he is speaking in the context of God putting Israel aside and picking a bride, the church, right now. The fullness of the Gentile there speaks of the full number of people who are going to be saved during the age of grace. And when that last person accepts Jesus Christ, then the Lord is going to remove his church from this earth to begin a seven-year countdown known as tribulation and great tribulation. Don't confuse the one with the other. For Paul says there in Romans, he says that Israel was the natural branch. We are the unnatural branch grafted in. But don't boast in yourself because if God put Israel aside, he can also put you off. <laughs> It is not the, you, the branch that bears the root, but the root that bears the branch. But if God is able to graft us in, who are unnatural, we're not Jews, he is also able to bring in again the natural branch. So Paul says in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that he is not through with Israel. He will deal with Israel once again, but not until he is through picking out his bride. Very clear through Scripture. So don't confuse Israel with the church. So Jesus here, in the first two verses, predicts the coming destruction. But next I want to call your attention to verse 14 of chapter 13 of Mark. The coming of the destroyer. He says, but when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the wilderness. Once again, notice the context. Judea. He is not talking to the church. The church is not limited to Judea. The kingdom of God is regarding Israel. Zion is Israel. The temple is Israel. It's always limited there. 
And Jesus here predicts the desolation of the temple spoken by Daniel. The abomination of desolation. Now, there are some who look at this prophecy and in studying Daniel's prophets, the prophecies of Daniel and the prophetic utterances there, they go to chapter 11, verse 31, where Daniel speaks about the abomination of desolation regarding Antiochus Epiphany. Antiochus Epiphany was the king of Syria who hated the Jews. And he endeavored to stomp out the Jewish religion and the Jewish people. And he went in and he erected a, a statue of Olympus Zeus, the god, and there he erected an altar to him and he sacrificed inside the temple and he slaughtered a pig, desecrated the temple and caused the priest to eat pig's flesh. Now, you know Jews, you know they're kosher. You don't eat pig. As he did that, he fulfilled that prophecy. Many believe that what Mark is saying here relates to the fulfillment of Antiochus Epiphany. But as we look to history, it cannot. First of all, Jesus is talking here about future, not about past events that had happened already. Therefore, whatever he's talking about, whatever abomination, it's still future. Then there are others who say, oh yes, this is speaking about, about Titus when he came in. It can't be talking about Titus. He didn't set up any abomination in the temple. He leveled it. The third reason it can't be that, because if you study from verse 14 down to 23, it's talking about the period of great tribulation, three and a half years before Jesus returns. It's been more than three and a half years since Titus came in. I don't know if you know that. And so it must declare a future fulfillment. There is another passage of abomination of desolation in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 11. And there he speaks about the Antichrist who is going to come on the scene who will be embraced by Israel herself. Now, those of you that were with us when we studied the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 on down to 26, we see that God had a plan for Israel. The prophetic years there are in series of heptads, and you must multiply them equally. They come out to the first 69 being 483 years to the day based on a 360-day Babylonian calendar. Why Babylonian? Because that is the prophetic year. Read Genesis and figure out how many days are in those years. That countdown began when Artaxerxes gave the command to Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in troublous times. Taking that date and projecting that forward, you land on the very day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, on the coal of that donkey. To the day... And then God stopped the prophetic clock. And he ushered in the age of grace, the church. Then Daniel 9.27 will not begin until the age of grace is over with. And Israel, Daniel 9.27 says, will make a one-week covenant, seven years, with the man of sin. Revelation chapter 6 says, the first man to arrive on the scene after the church is removed is a man on a white horse and he's got a bow but he's got no arrows that's the antichrist he enters in and he conquers with diplomacy and everybody will hail him israel will make that covenant with him jesus says i came in my own name you did not receive me there will come one in his own name him you will receive interesting
Pastor Xavier Reese, coming to an end of our time together for today, overlaying the prophecy of Jesus from Mark chapter 13 with those from the Old Testament concerning the past and future Israel. Now, there's much more of this informative message to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you're invited to pick up a copy, and the title you'll want to ask for is simply Jesus and Israel. It's available on CD for only $4, and this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Jesus and Israel, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing... Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 